0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Uh, Here at Cross and Crown we believe that the Bible is God's Word to His people and that means that when we read the Bible, We are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from Psalm 67. I will be reading from the CSB version. Please follow along in your own Bibles. The passage will also be displayed on the screen. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him.
1: God, we pray that you might warm our hearts, move our hands, and help us see the glory of your Son. Fill our hearts with joy, with blessedness, with true happiness, all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, what's the one thing? What's the one thing every parent wants for their kid? Whatever the son or daughter might go on to do, what's the one word every parent wants to describe their child's life? You can almost hear it, can't you? Vincent, I don't mind what you do with your life. You can study that course, marry that girl, go and ruin your life for all I care. that These things don't matter, Vincent, as long as you're, and what's the word? Happy? No, it's successful, as long as you're successful, Vincent, right? Uh, It's often as long as you're happy. Happiness is the word that we want for our children. Happiness is the word that we want for ourselves. Happiness is so important that for our American friends, it's a constitutional right. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and... The pursuit of happiness. Now let me, let me ask, how, how would you react? What would you think? How would you feel if I told you that God wants you to be happy? In fact, he doesn't just want you to be happy. He wants your kids to be happy. He wants your friends to be happy. God wants this whole world to be happy. That in many ways, the gospel is the truest pursuit of happiness. Now you might be suspicious hearing that. In fact, the Christians in the room are probably the most suspicious of all. The Christians in this room who know me well are probably thinking, who are you? What have you done with my pastor? He's never been, I don't trust him when he's happy. Something's wrong. And if that's true, friends, then I need to repent of my joyless Christianity. And maybe some of us do as well. I want to show you from Psalm 67 that happiness is what Jesus wants for our whole world to enjoy. But it's not the superficial happiness that you might imagine. No, it's happiness at its most substantial. It's happiness at its most eternal. It's a world of happiness that's firstly a world full of blessing. A world full of blessing. COVID was an awful period of time. We try not to remember what that was like. But in the depths of COVID, I wonder if you remember, some of you will know this, that a song was released online called The Blessing. It went viral, topped the charts, 34 countries, sung in 41 different language, languages from Tamil to Tagalog. The Korean version was sung by Chae Siwon from Super Junior, like that was the highlight. But what makes this song so remarkable Is that its lyrics are entirely unoriginal. They're straight from the first two verses of this psalm. But this psalm is quoting an even more ancient blessing. It's the Aaronic blessing in Numbers six. It's a blessing I grew up hearing in English and Mandarin every single Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. And give you peace. Can you hear what God wants to do? God wants to make our world truly happy. He wants to fill this world with His blessings. God wants to give us His favor. That's what it means for Him to turn His face and to make His face shine upon us. God wants to give you a life full of blessings and a life full of favor. What was funny was, though, in my old church, we'd end the service by saying that blessing. And then after the service, over the morning tea, one or two of the aunties at church would always say something like this. Uh, they don't go here, so it's okay. Uh, they go, "Wow, your son, are very smart. <laughs> 99.95. And they'll say something like, God really show him favor. Wow, your daughter, her boyfriend, very successful. Cardiologists. This one is that like God's blessing. And I kind of want to say, Oof. well, actually, no. I'm like, they're not wrong in one sense. 1 Timothy 4 says that everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So good grades and a success. I mean a godly boyfriend. They're, they're genuine blessings. There is a sense in which they can make us happy. But let me ask, would we still say that God showed that son favor if he got an ATAR we wouldn't want to tell our friends about? Or or if that daughter never found a boyfriend or never married? You see, friends, the implication of what we say is that God's blessings and favor are found in our prosperity and our success. But it's a dead end. Because our happiness will disappear as quickly as people don't care about our ATAR, and they don't. No, the happiness that God wants for us is so much more lasting than that. God's blessings and favor are found in his grace. Did you notice that? May God be gracious to us. That that word grace means for God to take pity on us, to show compassion to us, to have mercy on us. 2 Kings 13, the Lord was gracious to Israel and had compassion on them and turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was not willing to destroy them. Did you see, friends, God's blessings are found in his grace, and his grace is shown in his refusal to destroy us when we deserve nothing but death. Which is exactly what Jesus came to do. To give us grace upon grace upon grace. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do you see, friends, the greatest blessing we can ever receive is the grace of God in the death of Christ. There is no blessing greater than being forgiven by God. There is no greater favor than to be saved by God. There is no greater happiness than to experience the grace of God in Jesus. The, the greatest blessing which, you will, which will fill you with the highest happiness, the blessing which, if you have, you will need no other, is God's amazing grace. You could have the lowest ater, the most menial job, never have a spouse, never have a child, never own a house, never own a home. But if you have the grace of God, you have all the blessings you will ever need. If anything, here's the warning. When we sedate ourselves on these earthly blessings, we numb ourselves to the happiness of God's grace. There are too many people who have all the blessings of this world, but still a guilty conscience before our God. Don't get it the wrong way around. No, no, grace is what enables us to sing, I have nothing, and yet in Christ I have everything. Can I say, if you're not a Christian, you have no idea how much God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you so much that he'll find the most shameful thing you've ever done and say, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. You see, God wants you to enjoy a life that's free of guilt, free of shame, free of fear. And when you think about it, it's actually hard to beat a happiness like that, isn't it? But I want you to notice that this blessing of grace has a purpose. God doesn't save us by grace so that we can be happy in his kingdom all by ourselves or just with our friends. Now he saves us by grace so that, verse 2, his way may be known on earth, his salvation among all nations. God blesses us with his grace so that we might share that grace with every nation on earth. It's as if we've been cured of the deadliest disease that afflicts humanity, not only so that we might live, but so that we might tell the rest of the world that they can live as well friends we have been cured of the deadliest disease we have been forgiven by god in jesus not only so that we might be saved but so that we might tell the rest of the world that they can be saved in jesus as well god has made us happy so that we might share his happiness among all nations isn't isn't that compelling That that the grace and forgiveness of God will one day fill the earth. That historic crimes will be forgiven. That truth, justice and reconciliation will be finally enjoyed. That the scars of war, segregation and apartheid will be healed. Seriously, Christians, do, do you long for our world to enjoy the grace and forgiveness that we have in Jesus? And are you so happy in the gospel that you long to share that happiness with the world? Friends, this is not merely the result of being blessed. No, it is the purpose of being blessed. That the world might be truly happy in the grace and forgiveness of God in Jesus. God wants to fill this world with blessing. And secondly, he wants to fill this world with joy. Now, that might surprise you. You might think that God wants to make this world more like the handmaid's tale. Or you might look at your Christian friends, or let's face it, me from time to time, and go, gosh, joy is not the word that I'd use to describe his life. And if that's the case, then again, I need to repent of my joyless Christianity. Because joy is what God wants to fill our lives with today. And joy is is actually what God wants to fill our world. Just look at verses 3 and 5. They're exactly the same. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Praise God. That's what he wants the nations to sing. And not just some nations, but every single one of the 8 billion people in the 17,281 people groups around our world. Everyone praising God. Why? Because right there in between verses 3 and 5 is the source of our joy. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. What is it that should make every person from every nation shout for joy? What is it that should give you, friends, the greatest happiness that radiates to everyone around you? Jesus, the perfect king. You see, not only does Jesus forgive us in grace, Jesus rules us with justice. Not not only does Jesus take away the penalty of sin, no, he disarms the power of sin. Not only does Jesus make us right with God, he makes this whole world perfect once again. Every Christmas, when we sing that carol, Joy to the World, do you realize what we're singing as the reason for our joy? Joy to the world, the Lord, the King is come. Let earth receive her King. Joy to the earth, the Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Friends, can you see the vast scope of God's plans? Can you see the beating heart of our joy? That King Jesus has come to forgive our sins, but not only that, he has come to restore our world. I mean, if that's true, how could your life not just radiate and beam with joy? But here's the tragedy. I think many of us in Melbourne don't experience this joy. We live in what we claim is the world's most livable city, and yet our lives, even as Christians, is so devoid of joy. And I think in part, there's a few reasons for that, but I think here's one reason that I, as your as your older brother and pastor, can share with you, I suspect this may be the case, and it will sound very basic and banal, but I think here's one reason why in our church we may not experience the joy of the gospel. We don't read the news. <laughs> I've been been really surprised. A lot of us just do not read the news. We don't look at the world around us. And if we don't read the news, we won't see the brokenness of our world. And if we don't see the brokenness of our world, we won't realize the beauty of God's king. And if you don't see the brokenness of our world or the beauty of the king, you'll never have true joy. We're, We're like fools who submerge ourselves in an infinity pool in the middle of a war zone. We sink to the bottom of the infinity pool going, life is fine, this is great. And we think that that pool is heaven enough. But it's a short-sighted source of joy, isn't it? Because if we came to the surface and stepped out of that pool, we'd see the war zone of our world. Can I, can I be honest? I, I look at... I, I genuinely, I look at Ukraine and it makes me fear what happened, what might happen to democracies around our world. I look at what happens on the Gaza Strip and with Israel and I'm shocked at it, but I'm even more shocked at the extent of anti-Semitism right here in our own city. I look at Afghanistan and it's chilling how quickly the world can forget all the young women subjugated under Taliban rule who we cared about when it all went to custard, but now we all forget about And all the while, we don't care. Our world is on fire, and we bury our heads in the sands of a beach resort. But here's the risk, right? Here's the risk. If we do see the world in all of its brokenness, and if we do see our own indifference in all of its horror, you might wonder, Adam, then how in the world can you explain me to be happy? How can you ask me to feel joy when I see a world without hope and a people who don't care? Uh, If I feel happiness when I see all of that, doesn't that just understate the suffering of this world? If I'm joyful, doesn't that just actually understate the sin of the people? If anything, I should be bitter when I see the suffering of the world and the sin of the people. But friends, this psalm of joy is surrounded by psalms of suffering. Somehow, in some way, the psalmist is still able to truly be happy. Even though the world burns around him. Because there is more joy in Christ than grief in our world. So yes, we should directly, honestly, brutally stare at the horrors of our world. We must confront the indifference of our own hearts. But we should even more greatly experience, enjoy, and express the reign of our king and the justice he brings to our world. Because Jesus is the king who judges the peoples with fairness and leads the nations on earth. Jesus is the king who's already brought heaven to earth in some measure. Jesus is the king who is the first fruits of a new creation where no one will die and everyone will live. Friends, that kingdom, though not yet fulfilled, has already begun in Jesus. So you might ask me, Adam, how can I be happy when the world is so broken? But then I'll ask, how can you not be happy when Jesus is so much better? You see, friends, a joyless Christianity is an offence against the king who has come to bring joy to the world. If we are not filled with joy, we are saying that the death of Jesus was not enough to conquer the horrors of our world. And in verse 4, I want you to see it's a joy, friends, that makes us shout and sing. It's the joy of the lame man in Acts 3 who's healed in Jesus' name and goes away walking and leaping and praising God. Can you see, true joy is both inexpressible and yet must be expressed. We cannot say that we're happy in Jesus if our hearts aren't moved, if our heads aren't lifted, if our hands aren't raised, if our voices don't sing, if our lips don't speak, if our lives aren't changed. This is a joy that should enable us to smile at the storm, not as we go sailing home, no, as Jesus comes riding in to make this whole world new. It's a bit silly, but I'm going to say it. I think there are three objections to the joy uh, that we face here. I think I I am naturally, I I have a funny relationship with joy. I feel like I should be joyful, but it's not my natural personality. And here are three of my natural objections to joy. Adam? Adam? God tells us to be joyful. He doesn't call us to be happy. I'm not happy, but I am joyful on the inside. I'm like, I can see. Uh, you know, it's just, there is somewhat of a conceptual and semantic overlap between happiness and joy. Like, they're not that different in one sense. Secondly, we say, Adam, I don't need to express my joy. I don't need to lift up my hands. I lift up my heart. It's okay, right? And I'm like, well... Actually, every mention of joy here in the Psalms is always expressed. It's embodied. He shouts for joy. He sings. And should we not also live such lives with our bodies and give God what he deserves? Thirdly, it's not my personality. God has come to sanctify your personality. You know, there is something good about that. Yes, we're all different and we express things differently in our own ways, but true joy does not go unexpressed. If you're married or you've got a best mate, you tell them, I love you, I just don't need to express it. It won't go down very well. No, if your husband, your wife or your friend are worthy, can I say Jesus is so much more worthy of an even greater joy. God wants that joy to fill our hearts and to fill the world. The joy of a broken world healed, walking and leaping and praising God. Friends, let me genuinely ask, do you long for this world to be happy in Jesus? Does your life radiate a joy that makes this broken world look at you and say, gosh, that's weird. There is no reason for her to be so happy. But whatever she has, I want. God wants to fill this world with blessing, and he wants to fill this world with joy. And finally, I want you to see, friends, he wants to fill this world with wonder. Verses 6 and 7 are the fulfillment of our every longing. In verse 1, the psalmist prayed that God might bless us. And now in verse 6, we read, God, our God, blesses us. You see, in that day and age, God's blessing was shown through the production of harvest. And that's exactly what the psalmist celebrates, that the earth has produced its harvest. Not will, not might, not hopefully might, but it has. The blessing that we desperately long for, the grace that we so desperately need. Friends, I want to say it's not something we have to wait for in the distant future. It's something that we can have now in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has brought us the greatest blessings and the highest happiness that we could ever imagine. And it's something that we can enjoy today. You know, often as Christians, I think, we think that happiness in Jesus is something that lies in the distant future. Sure, I'll be happy in heaven, but not here on earth. And I want to acknowledge that there is some truth to that. Psalm 90 tells us that we continue to live in a world under a curse. We still live in a world as broken as it is beautiful. On this side of eternity, there will still be moments of deep sadness and heartbreaking grief. It's why one third of the Psalms are prayers of lament that help us cry out to God in our suffering. But... It's not the whole story, because the Psalms always move from lament to praise. Because in another sense, in a very real way, the kingdom of God has already come near. Jesus has already risen as the first fruits of a new humanity. And there is the possibility of real happiness this side of heaven. You know, in Luke 18, Jesus talks about how hard it is for a rich person to be saved. And he calls all of us to leave everything to follow him. That's the cost of discipleship. The the grief of living in a broken world. But but look at what he says next in verses 29 to 30. There, There is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. Did you notice those three words, at this time? Jesus says, for all the suffering we might experience for following him, we will receive many times more, not just in the age to come, but right now at this time. That there is real blessing, real joy, real happiness that we can experience at this time. And so for all the grief of living in a broken world, for all the costs of following Jesus in this life, for the heaviness and the weight of the cross that we bear, we still can, No, no, we still should experience a greater happiness in Jesus at this time. And it will only ever get better. Because for all the joy we can have in Jesus today, our joy will only ever increase into eternity. Verse 6 says, our God, God, our God blesses us. But verse 7 amps it up, God will bless us. It gets even better. Our present happiness, friends, is a foretaste to a feast. Today, we can find true happiness in Jesus despite all the reasons for despair. But one day, we will find true happiness in Jesus without any reason for despair. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something to long for? That the happiness, that the gospel happiness you experience in your marriage today will give way to a greater joy in heaven where you won't be married and you'll have the perfect love of Jesus to which your marriage is but a sign. Or the satisfaction that you find in your singleness today in Jesus will be eternally amplified in heaven where you will enjoy forever what you already have today. The all-sufficient love of Jesus which is more than enough. Friends, the Christian life is not an endless famine. It is a temporary foretaste of an eternal feast. We can be happy today in spite of sin. We will be happy forever without it. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. Fear him? Fear? That's not how I thought this would end. Why end with fear? Shouldn't such a positive psalm end with confidence, with with strength, with hope, with, with optimism? But here the word for fear doesn't mean terror. In Hebrew, it's the word yara. It's the same word for the fear of the Lord. It means awe, reverence, wonder. It means worship. Fear is to be so captured by the extent of God's blessings, so captivated by the wonder of his grace, so compelled at the, at the world that he's restoring. This fear means to be so caught up at the king in all of his beauty. It is to behold our God. It is to have our breath taken away by his glory. It is to stand in wonder of his goodness and grace. It is to summon all of creation to join us and declare, yes, he is worthy. Don't you feel that? I mean, after this, we're going to sing a song that was written on the basis of this psalm. And I hope that when you sing it, your hearts are captured by that, that that you love it, that you long for the whole world to worship Jesus as you love him. I mean, look, think about this, right? If you go to Japan, I mean, when you go to Japan and you experience the joy, you feel the blessing, you taste the wonder of that thick-cut pork katsu, right? All you'll want to do is for everyone to know the same happiness you feel You'll even come back, organise a whole other trip with yet more people and invite them on this pilgrimage with you to the holy land of the rising sun where they will taste and see there that the pork is good. Friends, if you would be so captured, captivated and compelled by a piece of pork, if we'd, be so, if we'd so insistently tell everyone around us, you've got to go there, how would we not be even more captured, captivated? Compelled by the Lord. How could you not plead with absolutely everyone around us? You've got to meet Him. If true blessing is found in God's grace, true joy is found in His kingdom, then friends, true wonder is found in His worship. When we worship God as we ought, we experience happiness in the greatest measure. And you will want nothing more than for the ends of the earth to share in that wonder by worshipping Jesus as King." I don't get it. I, I I went into ministry when I was 30, so young, right? But I know the feeling. Like You go to church every week, you hear the sermon, same thing, blah, 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 right? Uh, but there's got to be those moments where our heart's moved. There's got to be those moments where we go, I don't love him as I ought. There's got to be the moment where you sing. If you're the type of person who closes your eyes and puts your hand up to sing, good. If you're the person who opens your eyes, look and see people who love the Lord. Maybe you won't lift up your hands. Maybe you won't close. Maybe I'm not saying you've got to do that, but... In your heart, don't you love Him? Twelve weddings this year. Still going, right? I've got 13, come and talk to me, right? What happens at a wedding? bride walks down, and everyone does this, right? Because they're looking at the bride as she walks, but they want to look at the groom. And as he stands there, motionless, with three men who look like security guards standing next to him. They're waiting to see if the dam will break and they'll start crying. I was at a wedding once. I got got the cheap seats at the back. Uh, (laughs) It came late. Uh, This was someone not in our church, don't worry. So it's okay. Uh, And and I was at the back. I didn't get a good view. And and as the bride was walking down, all you could hear was this high-pitched sobbing wailing at the front, And I thought to myself, how sweet. The mother of the bride is so... I was actually the groom. (laughs) There is a man who loves his bride. There is a man who every other day of the week who says, I'm joyful, not happy. There is the man who for the rest of his church life will never shed a tear never say that he loves the lord but when his bride walks down that aisle and he sees her in her glory he cannot help but be wow every sunday friends we gather here and we get to behold our god in his glory we stand next to each other some of you looking like security guards right there just mm-hmm, I'm not gonna move right do you love him will you respond to him with the praise that he deserves? If we could do it for our husband, if we could do it for our bride, if we could do it for the friends we love so deeply and the children who are so near and dear to our hearts, does our God not deserve a greater praise? Friends, we come to the end of these songs of salvation and I hope that our hearts have been somewhat warmed for mission this year. I hope that has somewhat raised our mission heat as a church so that we can step into this year, 2024, with hearts that burn for the Lord and break for the lost. I pray that Psalm 72 redirected our ambitions to be for Christ and not for ourselves. That Psalm 113 helped us be like the God who stepped down from heaven to lift us out of the trash heap of our sin. That Psalm 96 moved us to sing God's praises to every nation on earth. And I pray that this Psalm 67 might inspire us to live for the joy of the nations and the praise and glory of our God. Next next week, next Sunday, we'll be celebrating our church's fifth anniversary. And we'll pause to thank God for all of his blessings to us. And we're going to hand out a card to every single one of you. And on that card, we're going to invite you to write down the names of two people you commit to praying for this year. Two people who you hope will come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Be driven and motivated by these things. So start thinking about the names of those people that you're going to write down. I've already got my two. In Jesus, friends, we've been so blessed by his grace, haven't we? We've been given such a great joy in his kingdom. And we stand in such great wonder at his glory. How? How could we ever keep him to ourselves? Let me pray. God, you you command us to rejoice. It is an imperative to be glad. Because you are worthy. Because of all your blessings to us, all the joy you've given us, all the wonder that you've filled our hearts with, how could we not lift our hands in praise? How could we not love you? How could we not praise you? How could our lives not have joy as the dominant note of our everyday? God, every day we wake up, your mercies are new every morning. And every morning we pray that you would fill our hearts with the joy of the gospel. God, we know that life can be hard. We know there are things we grieve and lament. But we know that the one thing, sometimes it feels like the only thing that is more powerful than our grief, our sin and our lament, is actually your grace. And if your grace is more powerful, then how could our joy not sing more loudly than anything else in our lives? We commit our hearts to you. We praise you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we pray these things for your sake. Amen.